Turn with me to the book of Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me, weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lord, take the word that we've read this morning and open our hearts to receive it. May the lost be saved. May the saved be given boldness to preach the gospel to others. And do your will and glorify your name here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This is now our third Sunday with the prophet Jonah. And so far, he hasn't exactly proven himself to be an imitable role model. God said, go. Jonah said, no. And it all went down from there. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He was cast down into the sea. And now we find him, find him having been swallowed down into the belly of a big fish. That's where we find Jonah today. The fish gets a lot of attention in discussions about Jonah, but it's, it's a little bit funny to me that the author actually writes this like it's no big deal. He says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It happened. There it is. Moving on. Like it's nothing. But we can't just move on from that, can we? You know me too well. Let's pause here just for a minute or a few now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Did it actually happen? Would you stake your life on it? 
At one time, skeptics argued that the throat of a whale was too small to even swallow an orange without difficulty. And even if you did believe that a fish swallowed a prophet, could you really believe that he survived for three days, was vomited out, and walked away to tell the story? Would you bet your life on the validity of this detail in the book of Jonah? I hope you would say yes. I want you to have that kind of confidence in the Bible. New Testament or Old. The very Word of God. Since we're in an age where we're constantly called on to believe science... Follow the science. Let me share some things with you that I found interesting as I studied this. The Bible doesn't identify what kind of fish swallowed Jonah, other than that it was prepared by God. You might be interested to know that in the Mediterranean, where Jonah was, sperm whales happened to be prevalent, known to swim there. The average sperm whale has a throat that would have no problem swallowing an orange or a mobile home for that matter. Because the throat measures about 20 feet long, 15 feet high, 9 feet wide, one of those guys would have absolutely no problem swallowing a bitter old prophet. I also read that marine biologists have determined that a, a fish that's large enough would have enough air in its stomach that a human could breathe for some time. Even though the temperature would be around 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Let me read to you what I read in an, about an article in the 1927 issue of the Princeton Theological Review. The article reported the verified case of an occurrence in 1891 on the whaling ship called the Star of the East, which was hunting in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands. The fishermen spotted a large sperm whale and sent two smaller boats after it. One was able to harpoon it, but the second boat capsized in the process and one man drowned. A second sailor named James Bartley disappeared and could not be found. In time, the whale was killed and drawn to the side of the ship where it was secured and divided up. The following day, the stomach was hoisted on deck. And when it was opened, the missing sailor <laughs> was found inside, unconscious and bleached white, but alive. He was revived. After a time, he resumed his duties aboard the vessel. That's interesting. <laughs> Scientific evidence, when honestly observed, always supports the Bible. But I don't believe the story about Jonah because of the research of marine biologists. I don't believe the story about Jonah because of an article in the Princeton Theological Review. I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, possibly a whale, was in there for three days and was vomited out because it is God's Word. 
In Matthew 12, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign, and Jesus answered in verse 39 to 41, He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will it will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus believed that Jonah was true. So much so that he bases the reality of his own death and resurrection on the reality of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. Jesus essentially says, Jonah was as good as dead for three days, and when he came out, Nineveh repented and believed. But I am greater than Jonah. I will die and rise again on the third day, and you will not believe. You see, if what the Old Testament tells us about Jonah isn't true, then what the New Testament tells us about Jesus isn't true. And if Jesus didn't tell the truth, and if Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, we are still in our sins. You see, it really is a big deal whether Jonah 1.17 is true. If Jonah 1.17 didn't happen, you don't have salvation. We have every reason to believe God's Word. Amen? Now we can move on. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Yes, I bet he did. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I would pray. After all this time and all this running, Jonah is finally willing to do what he would not do on the ship during the storm. And notice to whom he prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. God had not abandoned Jonah. God hadn't disowned this prophet. God has all along been taking steps to bring Jonah back because he is his God. He isn't just the God of Israel. He isn't just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jonah here, a disobedient prophet in the belly of a great fish, he is Jonah's God. If you're one of his children, if you're born again, he's your God. He's not just the God of the church, generally. He's not just the God of Simmons Grove Baptist Church, But if you belong to God, it's personal for you. He is your God. I think verse 2 summarizes the whole prayer that Jonah prays in the rest of the chapter. Verse 2 says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I was in trouble. I cried to the Lord. He answered me. That's That's a good summary. 
That's the prayer. He says that he cried out from the belly of Sheol. The Sheol is a word for the the residence of the dead, the underworld, the grave. Jonah cried out from what he saw as the belly of Sheol. He was right in the middle of the place of the dead. He had one foot in the grave. He was as good as dead. Remember, Jonah doesn't know yet that there's a verse 10. He doesn't know that he's going to get vomited out. But he cries out to the Lord and he says, And you heard my voice. Maybe you've been on the run. Christians tend to do that, don't we? Perhaps you've avoided God, His calling, His purposes for you, and it's taken you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin tends to do that, doesn't it? You're not in a fish's belly, but you might feel just as distant from God, just as helpless. If that's you, know this. If you cry to the one true God, who is your God, He will hear your voice. I've divided up the remainder of this prayer into three sections. In verse 3, Jonah recognizes God's hand in his situation. In verses 4 through 7, God's discipline leads Jonah to repentance. And in verses 8 and 9, God's mercy moves Jonah to worship. Let's look at these together. Number one, Jonah recognized God's hand in his situation. Verse 3 says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Throughout this prayer, Jonah describes to some degree what he experienced as he was carried down into the depths of the sea. And as he begins to describe some of these things that he's experienced, the very first thing he says is about God. He says, you cast me into the deep. Well, you say, oh no, it wasn't God. The sailors did it. They're the ones who picked him up and tossed him overboard. Well, they didn't want to. They tried to row to shore first. They couldn't because of the storm. Well, Jonah's to blame then. He's the one who ran from God in the first place. And and when he got called, it was his idea to be thrown into the sea. Well, all of that's true, but it was God who sent the storm. It was God who caused the lot to fall on Jonah. It was God who sent the fish and wouldn't give Jonah the death he wanted. As Jonah sits in the belly of the fish for three days, seaweed on his head, water and juices up to his neck, the smell of dead fish floating around him, the heat from the stomach, the pressure from being hundreds or even thousands of feet underwater, he humbly realized, you cast me into the deep. God brought Jonah here. God is responsible for bringing Jonah to this place because He will not allow His children to run forever. Some people say this, that God doesn't do that. God doesn't let bad things happen to people just to teach them a lesson. God's not like that. Friend, God does bring things into the lives of His children. 
Because He loves you far too much to let you wander from home. We've already referenced it in an earlier study, but don't forget Hebrews 12. Verse 5 and 6, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and scourges everyone whom he, every son whom He receives. Don't be disheartened when you're disciplined. If you've been sinning and you recognize the work of God's discipline in your life, don't say, man, I'm a screw-up. God must really be mad at me. No, that's not it at all. When you sin and you, you recognize God's discipline in your life, say instead, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for reminding me whose child I am. Thank you for your discipline. Thank you for Jesus who died to pay for that sin. Help me <laughs> live for you this moment on. And you know what you're going to do? I know this because it's what I do. In those moments where I sin, I recognize God's discipline. I say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing me back to yourself. I go on and I might do good for a few hours <laughs> or minutes. And then I sin again, right? And it's easy to just to beat yourself up about it or think you have to do something to just work your way back to God. But Jesus paid for that sin too. You repent, you get up, you keep walking, and when you fall again, you realize, Jesus, you paid for this sin too. And you get up and you keep walking. Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Fight against sin. Make war against sin. But when you see God's discipline because of your sin, stand up and be thankful. Because Jesus paid for that with His own blood. The discipline of the Lord should encourage you. It's good to recognize God's hand in our situations. Because we're reminded, one, that He's in perfect control of everything. He's in control of the storm. He's in control of the lots. We're also reminded that we belong to Him. That He is our God. Jonah recognized God's hand in his situation. Number two, God's discipline led Jonah to repentance. The first part of verse 4, he says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Jonah felt as though God had cast him out. He tried to escape from the presence of the Lord and apparently here in the belly of the fish he thought he had succeeded. And he didn't like it. Isn't it good that God doesn't give us what we think we want? Jonah tried to get away from God's presence. He wanted to get away from God and in the belly of the fish he thought that God had finally cast him out. So he says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now Jonah doesn't know that he's going to make it out alive. As far as he knows, he'll be dead in a matter of hours. 
I don't think he's talking about going back to the temple. I think Jonah is drawing on what he knows from the Scriptures, possibly Solomon's prayer of dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8. In that prayer, Solomon had been talking about those occasions that Israel would sin and that God would send some kind of punishment for it. And listen to what Solomon prayed. He said, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive. This, I believe, is Jonah's prayer of repentance. His seeking of forgiveness from God. He feels as though God has cast him away and he calls out to God in repentance just like Solomon had prayed at the dedication of the temple. Did any of your parents ever do this thing where you, you, you were disobedient as a child and, and you wouldn't hold their hand and stay right with them in a store? So they decided they were going to teach you a lesson and hide? Was that just mine? <laughs> I have this memory of my dad. We went somewhere and, you know, he was telling me, stay right with me, stay right with me. I guess he was trying to give me some freedom, not making me hold his hand. And I wouldn't do it. And finally, he just hid, you know, made me have like this kid heart attack thinking that I was lost. But he really did it to teach me something, right? <laughs> In a weird way, it was a kind thing, I guess, because I stayed with him after that. Jonah feels as though he's been cast out by God and he turns back in repentance. Jonah gives us more imagery describing his plight. Verse 5, The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And then in verse 6, we see the end of Jonah's progression down. Verse 6, he says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. As he was carried down into the depths of the sea by this fish, Jonah says that he, he passed the very foundations of the mountains. He's heading to the netherworld, the land of no return, the place of the dead. He said the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. To him, the exit is permanently shut. This is a one-way trip. There's no way out. There's no coming back from this. He continues in verse 6, Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Now as his life is being carried to the depths physically, Jonah finally looks to the Lord for the lifting of his soul. He said in verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And he heard, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. When Jonah's life was slipping away, when he had lost all hope for survival, when he knew that he was as good as dead, then he remembered the Lord. It reminds me of Luke 15, the prodigal son, right? He demanded his inheritance from his father, he left home. He wasted it all on riotous living. A famine came to the land. He's lost everything. And now the only job he can get is feeding pigs. And he's so hungry that he wishes that he could just have some of the pigs' food. But no one will even give him any of that. 
Well, what does verse 17 say in that chapter? It says that he's sitting here in the pig pen, he's starving, he's hungry, and it says that he came to himself. The light bulb came on. The switch flipped. And he remembered, my dad's got servants that are in better shape than this. Maybe, just maybe, if I go home, he'll take me back. Just as a servant. You see, the reason some people never repent of their sins, the reason that some people will never get saved, is that they don't see how bad of a situation they're really in. Maybe that's some of you. You don't realize how offensive your sin really is to God. You don't realize how terrible it's going to be when you stand before Him on Judgment Day. You don't realize how bad hell really is going to be for sinners. For the prodigal, it took losing everything and living with pigs to realize what he needed. For Jonah, it took a fish dragging him to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. What would it take for you to see your sin for what it really is? It's the kindness and the love of God that sometimes brings things into our lives that force us to look up to Him. To really see that we need Him. Friend, don't let it come to that. If you see your need, repent today. Cry out for mercy to Christ who died to save you today. On your own, you're dead in your sins. You have no hope of rescue. You're just as much help to yourself as a man in a fish's belly at the bottom of the sea. You can't do anything to help yourself back to God. But Jesus, the sinless one, died for you. He took your punishment. He took the punishment that you deserve so that you could be forgiven. God will show you mercy if you'll come to Him. He showed mercy to Jonah. And that brings us to the third part of his prayer. God's mercy moved Jonah to worship. He says in verse 8, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. If you've read the Old Testament at all, you know that throughout Israel's history, they were constantly drawn to worshiping the idols of the countries around them. The Israelites in Jonah's day were no different. And Jonah recognized an idol, a false god, is absolutely worthless when you're in the fish's belly at the bottom of the sea. If you're still dead in your sins, if you haven't been born again, if you're still in that spiritual grave, whatever god you're living for, your education, your job, your kids, whatever, is absolutely worthless. And it will be no help to you when you stand before the true God who made you. Jonah said, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. That is, those of you who are trusting in anything else forfeit the mercy that could be yours because you have forsaken the God of mercy. God is... Certainly, a merciful God. 
He could have let Jonah have the death he wanted. The prodigal's father could have refused to let him in the house and sent him back to the pig pen. God could have refused to send Jesus to die for your sins so that you could have salvation. But He's merciful. Jonah responded to God's mercy with worship. Verse 9, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I've vowed. That's the exact same way that the sailors responded, right? In chapter 1. The storm ended. They offered a sacrifice. And they took vows. Jonah didn't have a gift to give God from the fish's belly, did he? So what did he sacrifice? He sacrificed the same thing that you can sacrifice. You can offer God the same thing that Jonah offered God. He said, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Salvation... Forgiveness cannot be earned from God. It's simply a gift of His mercy that you can receive. It's Valentine's Day, right? How, what kind of jerk would you look like if somebody brought you flowers and you said, Oh, that's so sweet, so nice. Hold on, let me get, I think I got $10 here. And you tried, let me, let me pay you for those flowers. What do you think it's like whenever God says, I've purchased your forgiveness. I've bought your salvation with my blood. And He offers it. You say, hold, hold on, I think I've got some filthy rags here somewhere. Because that's all your goodness is to God. It's a gift that can only be received. But once you've been shown mercy from God, once you've received that salvation, do you know what a proper response is? A commitment of yourself to the Lord out of gratitude. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I vowed. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 urges us by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translate that phrase, which is your spiritual worship. Because of God's mercy and because of the salvation that you've received, you give your life right back to Him out of thanksgiving. Why should we respond this way? Because of that last phrase in verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of, belongs to, comes from the Lord. God has demonstrated His sovereignty over creation in the first chapter by sending the storm, by sending the fish. But I want you to know that God is also sovereign in salvation. It is the only way that salvation is possible. 
More than that, it's because of God's sovereignty that salvation for His chosen people is certain. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to make salvation possible. I'm just going to lay it out there on the table and hopefully some people accept it. And if they do, we'll have a church. No, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. God will save His people. He will have a church. He will have a bride for Christ. And hell itself cannot stop Him. Salvation is of the Lord. Man, there's so much to say about this line that I don't have time to say. Let me just point you to one more passage. Romans 8.30 says, Moreover, whom He predestined, these He called. Whom He called, these He justified. Whom He justified, these He glorified. This is the progression of salvation. And God is the one who is active in every part. He predestined, He calls, He justifies, and He will glorify. If you've received salvation, here's how it went. In eternity past, God chose you. On the day you were converted, two things happened. One, He called you. That is, He opened up your deaf ears. He opened up your blinded eyes. He softened your hardened heart. And He effectually called you to Himself to be saved. When you responded in faith, that other thing happened. He justified you. He emptied your bank account that was full of sin and He filled it up with His own righteousness. He declared you righteous as if you were never a sinner. And just as sure as He chose you, called you, and justified you, He will glorify you. He will finish the work that He started in you. Because salvation is of the Lord. Because God is sovereign even in salvation. Your present standing with God and your future glorification is guaranteed. How do I know I'm going to wake up a Christian tomorrow? Because I didn't make myself a Christian in the first place. The one who made me a Christian will keep me a Christian until the day He makes me perfect like His Son in heaven. Say amen or something. I know we're Southern Baptists, but come on. <laughs> Salvation is of the Lord. Let's wrap it up with verse 10. God has shown His salvation to Jonah. Jonah has experienced the mercy of God. He's had this revelation in the belly of a fish. He's a changed man. Verse 10, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I'm not one to preach holiday sermons. You know that. But while a lot of people are thinking about love today, <laughs> nothing compares to the love that God has shown us. Nothing compares to the love that would send one's own son, 
perfect and sinless, to die for rebellious sinners. Salvation is of the Lord. And He will give it to you if you simply call on Him. He's a merciful God. He was merciful to Jonah. And He will show you that same mercy even more abundantly. Say, well, that, that wouldn't work for me. I've got too much sin. Well, moreover, the law entered that sin may abound, but... Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. (laughs) Where you have your little wheelbarrow load of sin, God has His dump truck of grace, right? He has more grace, He has more love than you could ever think about sinning. And if you will simply turn from that sin and call on Him in repentance and faith, ask Him for mercy, He'll give it to you. And if you have received it, How do you respond? (laughs) Worship. Commit your life to Him out of gratitude. God will use you, just like He will use Jonah. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love, the kindness that You've shown us through Your Son. We recognize and we worship You for the fact that salvation comes from You and from You alone. Nothing we can do will ever earn it, We could never deserve it, but you've offered it freely as a gift for those who believe. So I pray that you would open hearts with faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.